Well, good morning and uh, happy Labor Day weekend to you. I hope you're enjoying uh, this time we have together. It's a beautiful day, beautiful weekend, and we need to pray for our neighbors to the south, uh, folks down around Florida and Georgia, Carolina. Our thoughts are down there a little bit with our our daughter and her husband, so uh, keep that in mind. Uh, Just lift them up for their safety and protection. Uh, well, guys, it's good to see you today, and uh, isn't this awesome? The only bad thing is that it feels like it's fall, you know, which fall is great. It's just what follows that bugs us, right? So uh, we're excited about what God's doing in our lives and everything. Uh, and, you know, uh, we've had a, it's been a great year. It's flown by like all of everybody's year, and summer's been pretty awesome. And um, one thing we got a chance to do, and we mentioned this a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, uh, is go to Guatemala. And I wanted to tell you a little bit, of, not about a trip as much, about getting there. Because our trip began with a very strange bathroom experience. Well, now I got your attention. Let me explain what that's about. Uh, So we get on this plane. Uh, We leave. uh, We're going to leave Covington area, Cincinnati Airport. Get on a plane bound for Houston, and we had uh, one connecting flight we picked up in Houston, going on to Guatemala. Going to do all this in one day, which we had a great schedule. Went really, really well. Uh, or the plan was to go really well, but we got on the plane, and you know what happens, that you, you're settled in, and it seems like it takes a while, but then normally at the appointed time, you actually, uh, the plane revs up, backs out, and takes off, and that just didn't happen, and so we all knew something was going on, and so uh, before long, the pilot came on the, the uh, uh, speaker and told us, you know, we have a problem with the lavatory, uh, not really with the facility itself, but with the door that wouldn't latch in the lavatory. Now, that's not a big problem because it's not like you can get, I mean, you can touch every wall when you're in a plain bathroom, right? So the door won't stay shut. That's not that big a deal, but legally it is. And so they informed us that we were going to have a slight delay as we waited for a mechanic to come and fix it. And you all are sitting there like me, like a mechanic is not going to come and fix this. A plane about to leave didn't happen. So after a while, the pilot said, let's get off the plane and go back in and sit down. So we Got off the plane, went in, back to the waiting area, and we sat down there for a while. And finally, the pilot, or the, uh, you know, the, the, the lady said, it's time to get back on the plane. So we got on the plane, and they said, we got a new plan. The plan is you can only fly so far without having a working bathroom. And so we're going to fly to Memphis, land the plane, get off, go to the bathroom, get back on the plane, and fly to Houston. All right. So we did that. We... Flew to Memphis, landed, got off the plane. Everybody went to the bathroom, needed to. Got back on the plane. We flew to Houston. Only problem was, you can imagine, the minutes are ticking away. So by the time we get to Houston, there's no more flights going to Guatemala. So we lost an entire day on our trip. Uh, they must have like have one a day or so, maybe two. Anyway, we lost an entire day on that. And so that was kind of the initial. That was the beginning of our trip to Guatemala. And honestly, we had a lot of frustration on our flights the whole trip. But you can imagine on a short trip how one day uh, a bad beginning really kind of impacts the whole trip, right? The reality is that beginnings matter. They really matter. First impressions matter a lot. And one of the reasons why we love to have some incredible smiling faces out in the foyer or the lobby uh, when you come in is that beginnings, first impressions really matter. Your first trip, your first experience here, it matters to you and it matters to us, matters to God. In fact, beginnings of almost everything matter. Have you ever noticed how the beginning of of most things are pretty important and pretty significant, pretty enjoyable? For example, you're you're getting ready to go on a vacation. You anticipate that for weeks, and then the day comes, and you can't wait to get started. It's a whole lot better than the way home, isn't it? The beginning is pretty cool. 
Or maybe for our kids, the first day of school. Man, they're loving that. They can't wait to get to school. They can't wait to meet their teacher and their classroom and just get started. Or maybe it's a new job that you're beginning. And you, this first day of a new job that you're hoping is going to be something you'll spend your career on. Or maybe it's some new adventure. Or maybe it's a relationship, a dating relationship, first date. You know, those are kind of exciting. Anticipation, we look forward to them. And let me just say that that kind of anticipation, that sort of excitement should be how we think about a relationship with Jesus. Not only for ourselves, but for other people that we might invite to come and to know him. Because Jesus wants to offer us the ultimate new beginning, the ultimate experience of a lifetime, the greatest hope that we could possibly have. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So if you feel like your life, you made some mistakes in the past and you'd like a, a do-over, well, Jesus can give you that. He can give you a whole new start, a new beginning. The old is gone, the new has come. And you know, in this series that we began last week, we've been talking about this journey that we're all on in coming to Christ. And we say we were going to take a few weeks and call this series The Path. And that's what we began last week. You know, we were looking at this series, and I'd gotten back from vacation and the trip to Guatemala, and we were looking at it. Tony had done, our discipleship minister, done a great job in outlining this. And I looked at the first message, and I said, Tony, you have to be the one to preach this because you have spent, you have immersed yourself in this for months and laying out this path and and putting together the graphic that we have up on the board. And, and by the way, guys, this is something that I really, we really want you to, to get, get, get your head around because we believe this is truly the path and the journey that we're called to make. And we want to clarify that because we, sometimes we need words, we need symbols, we need something tangible to look at and think about, not only to evaluate ourselves, but also how to direct others as well. We want this to be a mental picture that you get, not only the words, but the signs and just the concept of moving on our journey with Christ. And so today we're going to begin this path. And the first step of the path is what we call begin. That's the best thing that we can, uh, best word we can put with it. That, that, that we begin the journey in the path. To understand that God has a plan for every person that he chooses to give life to. A few moments ago, Zach was talking about assurance, crisis pregnancy center, and for every life that God has given, every baby that's conceived, God has a plan for that person. And his plan is at some point in their life that they choose to follow Jesus and to surrender their lives to him. So if you are alive and breathing, I believe that God has called you. God has a plan for your life. Not a mundane plan just to give you, you know, a happy lifetime, but, but instead a, a path that he calls you to follow, a destination that he has in mind. And life really in every way is a journey. It really is a journey to be lived and a journey to be enjoyed, but also to know that there is at the end of life, God has a special place for us, a destination called heaven that will be perfect. And the incredible thing is that we don't have to guess or just try to you know, wander and, and discover it, that God has given us a clear path in his word. And also, amazingly, specifically in the ministry of Jesus as well. That Jesus' ministry, actually, he led people on a path. And i got to be honest and tell you that I didn't really comprehend that a whole lot for a lot of years. That the, the gospel, the life of Jesus, is just basically a path of leading his disciples, beginning and coming to believe, to belong to him, become 
the, the disciple that God intended for them to be. And God has a plan for your life as well. So if you're here today and you're just like checking out Journey Church or you're checking out Jesus um, generally, you're here at a great time, the perfect day, the perfect time for you because we're going to talk about what it means to begin this exciting journey with Christ and how we do that. And if you're here as a Christian, you're here on a great day as well too because you're going to recognize the things we talk about. They're going to be kind of make maybe a refresher course for you to remember the early days of your walk with the Lord, or maybe to kind of fill in some of the gaps that you might have missed at some point in your life. But for all of us, this is going to be a great reminder that the greatest part of our life's journey, the most important thing we could ever do, would be to answer the call to come and follow after Jesus. That's the most important decision that you will ever make, far more important than your career, far more important than who you marry, if you have kids or not, what job, anything, the most important question is, will you follow Jesus when he invites you to come after him? So let's begin this path. Let's begin, and what better place to begin something than in the beginning, right? The very beginning. And so we're going to go back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the beginning of time, the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, the book of, of, of beginnings. And the book of Genesis tells us about the beginning of our earth and the beginning of creation and how God made this world for us to live in and enjoy. And here's what it says in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. So God has established this beautiful place for mankind to live. He has made all of these animals, all of the birds, the environment, plants, trees, everything for man. And man has given dominion over all of creation to use it, to care for it, to, to uh, basically uh, just for his own purposes, whatever he has in mind. But even more than that, God has a plan all along that we would come to know him and choose him and worship him. The plan wasn't just to give man a great place to live. The plan was to establish an environment and then have a relationship with man. And you know, even today, God wants to be in relationship with every person. And at first, in the beginning, he was. It was perfect then. The Bible says that Adam and Eve, they had a perfect relationship. Guys, I know your marriage is probably pretty cool if you're married, but can you imagine having a perfect marriage? perfect marriage. Yep, that was, that was in the beginning. And I know your relationship with God might be pretty good, but can you imagine having a perfect relationship with God? Imagine perfection in every relationship that you have in your life. That's what it was like in the garden. Everything was wonderful. Man and woman loved each other. They loved God. They walked and talked with God. They didn't have to work. They just communed with God. It was awesome. And then things began to fall apart, right? In the garden, which was the environment that God intended for us to live in, close to him, close to each other, perfect. But we all know what happened, right? We know that there was somebody on the outside who wanted to disrupt this oneness with each other and with God. And that person was Satan, who himself had once had a relationship with God. Not only a relationship, but had been kind of like a captain in the Lord's army, the angel army. And that was Satan, or Lucifer, he had rebelled against God, wanting power himself, and been thrown out of heaven. He, and along with many, many demons, because of their own rebellion against God, following him. 
So Satan came into this perfect environment and he began to tempt Adam and Eve to do the one thing that God told them not to do. The one thing. You know, what is it about humanity that we choose to do what we're told not to do? And it starts with kids, right? No, rebel against authority. We can do everything but this one thing and that's what we want to do. And that's how Satan played on the heart of Adam and Eve. And that was to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now God had said, if you eat from this tree, one tree, out of all the trees, if you eat from this one tree, you will surely die. But Satan said, if you eat from this tree, you will not die. You will know everything. In fact, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from it is because you will be as wise as God if you eat from this tree. And so, being tempted, they intentionally chose to disobey God. And they ate the fruit from this tree, and they brought sin into the world, and they lost their place in the order of God's plan. And the punishment of God was swift, and it was extremely harsh. Immediately, shame came upon them, and immediately, conflict came with each other. We know what happened probably instantaneously. Adam and Eve looked at each other and blamed each other for the fall, right? We blame Eve a lot, but but Adam was missing an action. He should have let his his family. They blamed each other. Conflict immediately came out. They were expelled from the garden immediately. They experienced not only broken relationship with each other, but with God. And God said, on top of that, there are some punishments. Now your lives will never be the same. For woman, now you will experience pain in childbirth. That's where it came from, women. Not only that, you're also your desire is going to be to submit to your husband's leadership. That's where it came from, women. It came from that sin. For the man, it would be painful work, sweating by the toil, uh, by the sweat of his brow. There would be thorns and thistles. And in our world, there would be, you know, conflict and issues. And then to all of mankind, there would be internal conflict. There would be sickness, and ultimately, there would be death. Can you see how this one sin changed everything that God had set up, everything that was perfect? But the greatest result from that sin was not just what man and Adam and Eve had to experience. The greatest result was the sin nature that came into our world and the broken relationship with God that would continue to plague all of mankind all the way down until the end of our earth. And today you and I live in the fallout of that. We live there and we experience that. We identify with Adam and Eve in their fall. Now, it looks like a very dark, dark time, and it was for mankind. It was a horrible choice that was made that changed everything. But even in this dark time, God shone a light. Even in this moment of darkness and hopelessness, seemingly, God spoke about one who would crush Satan and who would one day restore mankind to God's original plan. Maybe it wouldn't be as perfect as it was in the garden, but things would be restored. Man would be redeemed because God is not a vengeful God. He is a loving God, but he is also a just God. Many of us as parents, we probably would have just washed the whole thing over. We would have probably just patted them on the head and said, I know you got problems. It's okay. We'll just start over. But God was so just that he couldn't do that. He'd established a a principle of purity and holiness. And once that was destroyed, God says, somebody's got to pay that. God does not just turn a blind eye to sin. There has to be a payment made. And there had to be a payment made 
at that moment there was a problem because instantly not only was there conflict between Adam and Eve, but there was also shame between themselves and, and God, and they realized they were naked. They had nothing to clothe them. They were, they were exposed, and God said, uh, i got to fix this. And so God killed one of his animals, one of his creations, to give them skin to cover their bodies. You might say, well, why don't they use fig leaves? Because there's a real basic principle. It's not, they're not as durable, first of all. But secondly, and more importantly, because plants don't pay for the life and the, the, uh, the sin of a person. The Bible says that God required a blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin, to cover our sin. Now, why is that? Why would it have to be, why does something have to die? Here's why, because death is the greatest sacrifice of all. Death is the greatest sacrifice of all. That only makes sense, doesn't it? So an animal, an innocent animal had to die to cover the sin of mankind. But it gets even deeper than that, right? In Hebrews chapter 9, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, no forgiveness of sins. So that's how it began. And in fact, the Old Testament records a long history of animals that were sacrificed to atone for the sins of the people. We know immediately they began uh, giving sacrifices. We read about Cain and Abel sacrificing. Uh, uh, Cain sacrificed fruit and plant, was not accepted by God. Abel sacrificed an animal and was accepted by God. But you know, even after that, when Moses came along, they established a really intense and complicated system of sacrifices. And animals were the ones that were used. At the dedication of the temple alone, there were 22,000 cows and 120,000 sheep and goats sacrificed in one day, a day or two. Thousands and thousands of animals were sacrificed just to dedicate the temple. And that doesn't count any of the ones that were sacrificed on a regular basis to cover the sin of the people. But you know what? As serious as that was, as much death as it was, as much blood as that was, this only really rolled the sins forward. It only pushed them forward. Why? Because they're not enough. Here's what it goes on to say in Hebrews 10. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. In other words, those annual sacrifices, the sheep that the family would bring in to offer to God, all that did was simply remind them of their sin and roll it forward another year. Just push it, kick the can down the road to take it off them only temporarily. All of it was temporary, as, as complicated and as much death as there was. But you know what? God had a plan. He had a permanent fix in mind for our predicament. Here's what the Bible says. So when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So here is Jesus. Jesus, the one who is one with the Father. Jesus, who has always existed from the very, before the beginning of time. Jesus, the one that we see active even in the Old Testament, not in human form, but in many different ways. I believe we see Jesus before he, he came to our earth as a human. Jesus humbled himself. He left heaven, and he chose at the right time to become man, born of a woman, into the Jewish culture, under the Jewish law, in order to redeem those under the law and everybody else, praise God, so that we could be adopted as children of our Heavenly Father, sons and daughters of God. Jesus came into our world 
And he laid his life down on the cross as a substitute for you and I. He paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could never pay. And he became the perfect and the final sacrifice once and for all. The Bible says to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Why did Jesus have to die? Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, right? Because the blood of sheep and goats cannot erase the sin of a person. It would only be the blood of the only begotten Son of God, both God and man, God, divine man with flesh and blood that could be poured out. He would be the only one who could possibly atone for our sins. And that's why he died for us. His mission to this earth was to die for our sin, but also to establish a community of believers that would carry on his name and carry the mission forward. And that is the church that we have in the world today. And so here we are, 2,000 plus years later, 2,000 or so, and we continue to carry on the mission of God. The church is the vehicle through which people come to know Jesus who, are, who become disciples, who and then make disciples as well. So we have Jesus on this earth. Obviously, we talked about the big plan, but now let's back up a little bit and look and see how Jesus made disciples. We have Jesus focused on introducing himself to people as the Son of God. And you know, we have four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who tell us about the life of Jesus. We're going to look a little bit at the, the, the book of John here in just a second. But Jesus came into our world, we know as a baby, he grew up, became a man, and then he went about attracting people to himself and to his mission. He tried to help them begin their relationship with him. And so how did he do that? We're going to talk about that. We're going to look at John chapter 1, the book of John chapter 1. Now in this first book, or first chapter here, we're going to read a little bit about John the Baptist. Now Jesus came into our world to be the Son of God, the Savior, obviously, But before he came and announced himself, there was another man. His name was John the Baptist. He had been preaching, been calling the people to come to repentance and preparing them for the coming of Jesus. John the Baptist was the first one to publicly recognize who Jesus was. He baptized him in the Jordan like he was baptizing many other people. And then when Jesus began his own ministry, earthly ministry, John began to refer and send his own disciples to Jesus. John said, I must decrease and he must increase. And so he, he knew that Jesus was the Son of God they were longing for. And so he starts pointing his, his guys toward Jesus. And that's what we see in John chapter 1, verse 35. It says, John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, this is John the Baptist, by the way. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When those two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Imagine the humility of John sending his guys to that guy, following Jesus, all right? Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. So what did Jesus say to these guys? He said, come and see. Come and see. That was the invitation that began their knowledge and their relationship with Jesus. Come and see. And this is the same call that Jesus gave to everyone in his day and every one of us who would begin a relationship with him. To come and see. And you know, doesn't that just make sense? I mean, how do we begin a relationship with a a person today? How do we do that? 
We spend time with them. We get to know them a little bit. You know, when you start dating, you, you get the nerve to ask that person out, or they ask you out, and you come to know them a little bit. You know, you just kind of is there, is there something happening here between them? Or maybe you have a coworker. You sit down and eat lunch with them, and, and you just talk with them. You get to know them a little bit. Or you sit with another parent at a ball game, you know, and you're there, and they're, they're there every game, and you discover you share an interest of some sort. You know what I've today, learned today in our modern world, what do you do? You, you look them up on Facebook, right? That's what you do. You stalk them on Facebook and find out what the person this is. Why you shouldn't put too much information out there online, all right? But anyway, that's what we do, and, and hopefully it doesn't end there, you know, it goes beyond the social media thing, but, but you kind of get to know that person, and then you want to spend time with them. You come and see, as Jesus said, you begin a relationship. You know, Jesus wants our relationship to, with him to be based on coming to know him in a natural way, not in a weird way, but in a natural way with him. And there's two ways, primary ways I think we can do that. One of them is by reading his word, reading the Bible. If you want to know who Jesus is, read the book of John. Since we started there, just read through the book of John. It will be your best introduction to who Jesus is, and you will come to see what he was like and what his, what his, uh, his word was all about. And the second way is to hang out with other believers, to be around with other Christians who are on the same journey that you're on, who are maybe a little bit ahead of you, or maybe they're right beside you and learning and growing. And both of them require an intentional commitment upon our part. Now, if you're here today and you're a Christian, I want you to reflect back a little bit about how your life with Christ began. How did you come to know Jesus when you were younger or maybe at some point in your life? Some of you were kind of like me. You grew up in the church. You came to know Jesus through your parents and through other church members and family members, probably that were around you all the day, to the church environment from a very early age. That's my testimony. I grew up in the church. Uh, my parents were strong Christians. All of my family were there. We were all in a, a local church together. And everybody I knew just about was a Christian. And so it was kind of immersed in that environment. And I saw Jesus being lived out in the lives of family members and the lives of friends around me. But I know that not everybody had that experience. Others of you who are, are Christians, you didn't have that. You came to know Jesus maybe as a teenager or maybe as an adult at, you know, at some point where, where somebody you know, leaned into your life and began to talk to you and introduce you to Jesus and create a hunger in your heart for him. And, or maybe it was a local church you started going to. Or maybe it was some other avenue. You know, today there are online groups that people are studying about Jesus as well. So there's many ways that we can do that. Here's the thing, though. We can't always control how we come to Christ. We can't always control if we're raised in a Christian family or not. We can give that to our kids. But we may not have be able to determine that ourselves. We can't always control how we come to Christ, but we can all determine if we come to Christ. If we come to Christ. Because Christ invites every one of us to come to Him. You know, last uh, Sunday... Tony introduced a, a graphic that we've been kind of looking at through this that explains the path that we have. And, and from that graphic, obviously, we know that all of us at some point began our journey with Christ. And so maybe that's you today. Maybe you've come and you would have to say, I'm really beginning. I, I can't say that I'm a believer yet. You're not let a follow, follower of Christ. We call people like that seekers, uh, not to give you a term, but just kind of identify, you know, kind of where you are uh, in the, on the graph. And and that's where we all began. In fact, in this scripture we read from John chapter 1, that's where we see these two followers of John the Baptist. 
They, they were looking for Jesus. They were seeking Jesus. We later discovered that they are named Andrew and John. Another, this is not John the Baptist. This is John the writer of the book of John. So he becomes, these, they become disciples of Jesus. And they're looking for the Messiah, the Son of God promised. And every Jewish person was looking for the Messiah at that time. And they have believed, like I said, that it was John the Baptist. And they followed him, and they've probably been baptized by him. But he insists that he's not the Messiah, and he points them to Jesus and says, look, there is the Lamb of God. And like we said a moment ago, immediately they left John, and they began to follow Jesus. And they literally began to walk behind him, which is kind of an interesting habit in that day. They called him rabbi, and there were a lot, probably a lot of Jewish rabbis or teachers, and all of them would have disciples who would follow after them, and they would walk in their steps. And uh, one of the guys, uh, Dan, Dan Spader, that we, Tony and I have heard several times and, and read about, he says that they literally would walk in the same footsteps in the sand, that they would watch and they would walk every step that the rabbi took, they would walk in their steps. They would develop the same pace. They would develop the same path. Everything would be identical because they wanted to become just like the rabbi that they were following. And so the disciples recognized that here was a rabbi, and so they began to walk after him, to follow him. And Jesus invited them by saying, come and see. And it says they followed him to the place where he was staying, but they weren't really interested in finding where his home was. Because Jesus didn't really have a home. He didn't have a great place. He was probably staying in a, a corner of a room somewhere. And he invited them in, and there he talked to them. They weren't looking for his home. They were looking for his message. And they followed him there, and they saw much more than that. In fact, they continued to follow him for many months, or maybe a year, a year and a half or so after that, till the end of his ministry. And there they had a front seat to all the miracles that Jesus did, and all of his teaching and preaching. And then one day, Jesus handed off the mission to them, and he went back into heaven. And we'll talk about that later. But here's the point. Jesus gave, they gave an invitation to come and see, and he gives the same invitation to you and I today. Come and see. Come and spend your time with Jesus and his people. Read what Jesus has to say. Listen to his word explained in settings like this and the practical application to life. We do our best to make it extremely practical here. Open up your heart to his message and let him in. Surrender your life to him and let him show you how that you can be a better person. Let him show you how that you can find the peace that you long for and how that you can become also a follower who makes other, other followers as well to spread the good news of Jesus to others. Because Jesus offers a lifetime, a lifeline to those who are drowning. To those who are struggling, he offers hope. He offers a better life to all of us, a better life, a much better life. And he offers peace and joy and hope in every circumstance. In fact, I'll make you a guarantee today, I promise you, that if you give your life to Christ and you look back after a year or five years or 10 years or from eternity, you're not going to be able to comprehend how much God's done in your life. How much better God has made your life. And every believer in this room, I'm confident, who's walking with him would have the same promise, the same assurance. Not only that, do you have a, an amazing future, but you also, you start a legacy that will stay with your family and that will impact generations. That's the result of the commitment that you can make. 
Now, how do you practically begin this journey? How do you do that? It's very simple, very simple. The fact that you're here today uh, or, or maybe listening to this message online is a good start. The fact that God's put a desire of some sort into your heart to know Him and, and to, to be drawn to Him tells me you're on the right track. But the Bible's given us a very simple plan to follow, the plan of salvation. It would be what we would call like the very first steps that a person would take in order to find and to follow and to, to, after Jesus Christ. Because in the Bible, there was a very simple pattern that people followed when they came to know Jesus and then they gave their life to him. First of all, they believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. That's the very first thing, to believe that he is who he claims to be and acknowledge that you need him, that you have sin. Secondly, to repent of your sin. The word repent just simply means to turn around. It means that you're going one way and you change direction. In our context, it means that you're living life basically for yourself, but you decide to live your life for Christ and you turn around and you commit yourself to a lifelong process of turning away from sin and turning toward Christ. That's what repentance says. Thirdly is confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. Romans chapter 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you will confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then whenever we do that, the Bible says that then we're to be baptized for our sins, to be washed away. In Acts chapter 2, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is so, so simple to become a follower of Jesus, to believe, to repent, to confess, and to be baptized. And that is how we begin our walk. You know, I don't know where you are today in relationship with Christ. I'm sure that all of us are a different place. But I'm confident that there are some people here today who have not yet given their life to Christ, who have not been obedient to Him in this way. And maybe you're here today because you're searching. You knew that something was missing. You just didn't know what it was. Or maybe your life is really difficult right now and you're longing for something to hold to, something that's unchanging in your life, and you're looking for answers. Or maybe you're here today and everything's going great in your life, but there's a nagging feeling in your mind in the back that there's something missing that you're missing and that you need to know what that is because God's blessed you so much and you want to respond to Him. Maybe you're here today because somebody drug you here. Maybe you're here because somebody tricked you and said we're going to Starbucks and you ended up here. <laughs> hey, it happens, you know, people do that because they care about you. But for whatever reason it is, I believe you're here for a purpose today. And it could just change your life and your eternity forever because you were here today or you heard this message. Because I want to tell you, everybody is somewhere with Jesus. Everybody is somewhere with Jesus. You are either outside of Christ looking in and maybe, you know, seeking him or you are in with Christ. And today may be your day to begin your relationship with him. And the great thing is we're not talking about something that could happen sometime down the road. It could happen right now. And if you could respond to Jesus' invitation to come and see, come and see. And then we walk through the process of beginning this relationship with Christ. I'm going to be down front here in just a few moments. And Tony's going to be on one side. I'll be on the other. We would love to have a conversation with you. 
We would love to just contact you just for you just to say, hey, I want to talk this week about my relationship with Jesus and starting, beginning the relationship. We would love to do that, and we are available. So if you are not yet a follower of Christ, could this be the day that you change everything, your eternity, today? If you are here and you are a Christian, would you pray for the person who's around you who might not be? Sometimes we can get really selfish. You know, we're in, it's great, we're awesome. You're sitting there going, yeah, I love that message, that was great, that's what I did. What about the people who haven't done that yet? Can you pray for those people around you or across the room, maybe that don't know Jesus or maybe they're not even here? Remember your own beginning. Remember that you were loved by God, that you were called to leave your past and come and see and follow Jesus. But also remember that now your responsibility is to now point other people to Christ as well. Because those two guys, Andrew and John we talked about, you know the first thing they did that evening when they went home? They went and told their brothers, respectively, Andrew told Peter and John told James, I think we found Jesus. And they led their brothers to Jesus. That's the amazing thing. And so that's our responsibility, obligation, and privilege as well. Go and tell others. We're going to go right now to a time where we proclaim our faith in Christ and we um, are able to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for us through the communion service. If you're a believer this morning, we invite you to join us in our tradition. It's just to come up the side aisles and circle back to your seat. If you aren't able to come forward or you prefer not to, our deacons are in the back and they'd be glad to serve you right where you are. But this is the time for us to celebrate what Jesus has done for us Celebrate always seems like a strange word to say, but, but we know that even though Jesus faced defeat and death for us, that there was victory in it. And we can celebrate, we can, we can enjoy that because what he did on that day for us as he died. And so we take a piece of bread as Jesus established for us and a cup of juice and we eat them and we drink them to remember and to celebrate what, what Jesus has done for us. So we invite you to come and share with us in this time. Will you pray with me as we approach the Lord's Supper? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this incredible gospel message that we've been able to enjoy today. And Lord, would you move and would you work in the heart of every person here? Father, for those of us who are believers, remind us of where you brought us from, our, how lost we were, but now in Christ we have redemption of our sins and forgiveness and a promise. Lord, for those who are not yet followers, who have never crossed the line of faith, have never surrendered, have never been obedient in believing and repenting and confessing and being baptized, Lord, that you would nudge them and you would draw them to you, Lord, by your great love. We thank you for this, uh, this meal, for the bread and the, and the cup, and we pray you'll bless it. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.